Welcome to Living Hope. I'm Pastor Harrison, and here at Living Hope, we do love Jesus so much. And uh, we're coming to Easter. Easter is, a, is, a, is the reminder that this is the greatest expression of the love of God, that he gave his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. It's also the greatest expression of his power, that he rose from the dead. Now, as many of you know, um, right now, uh, my wife is, is away in Canada taking care of her mom, and so I'm actually home alone. This is the longest time, actually, we've been separated, actually, yeah, this would be the longest time that we've been separated, and it was interesting because I was telling, I called Rita, and uh, Rita said, well, how'd your first day go, you know, your first night, only the first night, and I said, oh, it was really hard. I said, you know, I had a dream when I was, the first night, I was dreaming that I was in this therapy group of husbands that really missed their wives, and, and, <laughs> and then I was sitting there crying, and all these husbands were telling me, you know, like, like this is what they do to, to cope with their wife being gone. <laughs> And then I dreamed that I was, I was in my, my bed and I, I had put all her clothes, all Rita's clothes on the bed so I could smell her when I went to sleep. <laughs> and then Rita goes, gee, hon, that's kind of creepy. <laughs> she says, I think you're making an, you have an idol in your life. <laughs> so, but anyways, yeah. <laughs> anyways, why do I say that? I don't know, because it's just... We're talking about marriage today, actually. <laughs> but today we're continuing in our study in the book of Colossians. And actually the topic um, that we've been looking at is being complete in Christ, what it means to be complete in Jesus Christ. And Colossians chapter 1 and 2, we saw what God has done for us through Jesus, that he has forgiven our sin, we have righteousness before God, uh, we have victory in Jesus Christ, we have freedom from the curse of sin. And then in Colossians, the next chapter, chapter 3, we saw, you know, how does, um, what is our completeness in Christ? How do we live that out? And last week we saw that, that um, we talked about um, uh, putting aside or, or, or putting to death the earthly nature and putting on Jesus Christ. And today what we want to look at is household relationships. And it's really interesting because Paul kind of makes it a really abrupt jump when he moves into Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, he begins to talk about husbands and wives, fathers and children, and masters and slaves. And we want to kind of look at that. What is Paul trying to say? What is God saying to us as we think about what does it mean to be complete in Christ? And so turn with me, if you will, to Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. And shall we stand in reverence for the word of God? Let's stand together. And this is the word of God from Colossians chapter 3. Wives, submit to your husbands as it is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, for you are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Now, this is a passage that most pastors 
do not look forward to speaking to, <laughs> speaking about, because there's a lot of stuff here that's not like politically correct in a sense. I mean, to ask women to submit to men, especially right now when we have the Me Too movement, movement uh, to talk about slavery in this time, you know, it, we're inv just inviting controversy when we speak in these passages. The only consolation is that part about children obeying parents, at least the parents are going to go out happy. But at any rate, <laughs> it's important to observe that when, when, when Paul's speaking about these issues, He's not um, addressing, simply addressing the institutions of marriage or the injustice of slavery in general, but rather his goal is to explain uh, the duties of Christians who will find themselves in these particular situations. How do you behave? How can they shine for Jesus Christ? in these situations. Now there's also, I believe, a larger picture that we can get from this, that in a broader sense, that Paul is actually addressing two categories of people in society. He's talking about the powerless and the powerful. And, and, and we can see he's talking about how the gospel really transforms and changes our understanding of how we see these kind of categories from a worldly standpoint. That, that the gospel stands in contrast to society, to the norms of society and how society understands power and authority. And the main idea that we really want to see from this passage is that our completeness in Christ emphasizes the idea of the dignity of the disadvantage and the accountability of those in authority. And that's really the theme that's going through all of these different relationships. The dignity of those who are disadvantaged in society and the accountability of those who really have authority, who in the world don't have that much accountability, but in God, in God's eyes, have great accountability for the Lord. Now I believe that for us, um, if we're not husbands, wives, or children, or we're our children, parents, um, or slaves, uh, but yet we can identify with at least one of these situations where we feel that either we're in a disadvantaged position or, or we're in a position of authority, of freedom, of power. And so what does God have to say to us or to people, Christians, who are in or find ourselves in these particular positions? Now the first thing I want to address, which is very important as we go into this, is the biblical view of marriage and the biblical view of slavery. Because this is kind of the first sentence is already needs that, uh, that, um, that explanation. Uh, Paul actually addresses both marriage and slavery, it seems weird that he'd address it together, um, but he, because in the, during the Roman imperial rule in households, basically you had all these relationships. You had uh, uh, husbands and wives, you had parents and children, and you had uh, masters and slaves. That was all in the household. And so Paul was trying to say, okay, here's how Christians, you may find yourself in any one of these positions, a master, a slave, a father, a child, a, a husband or a wife, and he's saying, okay, this is how our completeness in Christ will uh, transform all these relationships in the home. He's saying it starts in the home, and this is where we want to, um, where, where Paul wants to kind of say this is where the light is going to shine, where Jesus is going to make a difference. So we want to look a little bit in contrasting, in a sense, contrasting marriage and slavery, you know, because people say, well, why is Paul talking about slavery? Uh, it seems like a lot of people, well, actually, one of the arguments 
um, against Christianity uh, by non-Christians and by the world around us is they say, well, how come there's, there's mention of slavery in scripture? And, 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 and so does, does the Bible condone uh, slavery? And so we need to have a way to answer that. So first of all, as we look at marriage and slavery, marriage, marriage was established by God. Okay, that's very clear in scripture. It's not a human creation, it's not a cultural phenomenon, it is a divine institution. Marriage goes back to Genesis chapter one, chapter two, God created it. In the gospel, Jesus affirms it. The Bible's teaching is all about the sanctity of marriage, the permanency of marriage, the, the purity of marriage, the subjects of marriage. These are all biblical absolutes. There's no uh, questioning about them. In every case in scripture, marriage is highly valued. It is the union between a man and a woman. It is to express mutual love, tenderness, honor, humility towards one another. And marriage ultimately serves as a picture of the love of Christ for the church. It is, a, it is a lifetime commitment before God. Slavery, on the other hand, does not have its origin in God and is clearly not what God intended. Every instance of human slavery in the Old Testament is negative. It is the foundation, the very foundation of God's perfect plan actually begins with God, what? Setting the people free from captivity from slavery in Egypt. That's the whole start of the beginning of redemption. Uh, uh, freedom from bondage is a prominent image in the idea of salvation, uh, uh, God's work, setting the captives free, paying off their debts, uh, seeing sin as a, a slavery. And so just because in Colossians, Paul addresses the topic of slavery, it does not mean that the Bible endorses slavery in any way. The Bible clearly looks at slavery as, as heinous and evil. Now, but Paul's purpose as he, as he writes these things here in Colossians, is to minister and, and instruct those who live within this institution. That, that, that slavery is not gonna be abolished in their time. So Paul is saying, how can you, living even as slaves, continue to honor Jesus, even in the worst of circumstances? See, completeness in Christ must transform our practices of power and human dignity. And, and the first situation that Paul looks at in terms of power and powerlessness is in the family. And these two relationships that he mentions, the husband and wife and father and child, in verse 18, he says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now this is actually really difficult. A lot of people look at this and, and I remember my, my, my pastor when I was growing up said whenever he preaches this, he's got a lineup of women, you know, after the service coming to talk to him. So, uh, so he always says, this is the Bible, not me, you know, things like that. But anyways, <laughs> first of all, when we look at this command, okay, before I start explaining this, before, when we look at this command, first of all, it, we, we need to realize that it is God's word. It is not Paul's opinion. A lot of people say, well, this is Paul's opinion and, and things like that. No, it's not Paul's opinion. This is God's word. Okay, God says that women should uh, honor, submit to their husbands. It's not a luxury, we don't have a luxury of being selective and saying, oh, this is Paul's teaching and this is God's teaching. It's all one. Second, some people say that this is culturally conditioned, that Paul was just speaking about his culture and, and, and we don't have to honor this command. Um, again, I would say, um, yes, it is important to understand the cultural context in which this was spoken 
But that does not dismiss the, the, the power or the force of this particular command. So what is Paul saying when he says, husbands or wives submit to your husbands? Now in Paul's time, the husband was really the only fully legally recognized person in the household. Women were not recognized legally. Children were not recognized legally. Children and women were not given any rights. They didn't have any rights. Uh, they couldn't, uh, chil uh, women could not uh, testify in a court of law because their word was not legal. It had no, uh, no ground. And so basically, um, the father or the husband uh, had absolute power over the family. In fact, in, during those times, during ancient times, uh, the wife and the children were considered his property. They weren't even considered uh, people. And so women and children, basically, they were his possessions. And so, you know, fathers, they would give their wives, they would, sorry, they would give their children away, uh, uh, you know, to marriage, you know, and, and that was something that was, again, very cultural. And uh, it was more of like a business deal, political alliance. It wasn't a relationship of love. Uh, in fact, one's own children, you could sell your children off and give them away like property. And that was considered actually acceptable. That was considered like normal, like, oh yeah, there's no problem. Fathers do that all the time. If it's advantageous to you to sell your child, to give him away, they would just do that all the time. And so in Paul's time, wives and children represented the powerless members of society. Okay? Uh, they had no rights. They had no legal status. Uh, a wife could not accuse her husband or take her husband to court because her voice had, had, had no weight. And, and so we look at this and say, well, what is God saying to, to these who are in this particular situation? Um, first of all, one thing that's very remarkable that we, don't, that we will, may take for granted is that um, when you look at this, first of all, God addresses wives in the Bible. That's that's already something that you never see in ancient writing. In ancient writing, uh, the address was always to the male, to the husband, because he was the only one recognized as significant in the household. You never actually wrote things to wives because wives didn't count. You never wrote things to children because children don't count in ancient times. And so first of all, it was remarkable that first of all, God would write something specifically to wives. And the other thing that's kind of remarkable is that he addresses wives first. He talks to wives first and he says, he gives them in a sense a, 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 a dignity and a value that, um, that that society did not recognize. They would say, well God, why would you even speak to, to wives? Why are they important? And God says, well no, I wanna speak to them first and I'm gonna give them a calling and I'm gonna give them a, a, a call from God. This is how important um, their role is uh, in, in, in the household. And so first of all, we see here that, uh, that there's dignity and value given to wives. Now the second command, or the command actually, um, is, is hard. It says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Now again, we look at this and say, wow, submit just sounds like a terrible word. But in the Bible, in Greek, the word submit, it actually it's, it's, it's a general word which is actually given to all believers as a cooperative honor. 
that you give to any person in the body of Christ. Everyone is supposed to give honor, to, to honor each other. That's the, that's the general kind of command that Paul says, that, the, that this is something that, that is due to every single person, this type of honor. And so what Paul is saying specifically to women or to wives is saying, I want you, you're calling before God to be a godly or a, a, a person, a woman complete in Christ in the home, is, is willingly honoring the loving leadership of a godly husband. That as a, as if, a, if, if a godly, if a, a Christian wife, a wife who's complete in Christ, shows that she is willingly honoring the loving leadership of her godly husband, that this is a testimony that goes against all the things that are going on in the society right now. See, in the ancient culture, a wife had no choice. She had to obey. She's like a slave. And so a lot of women, they just kind of like did whatever. They didn't care about their husbands. They were like, yeah, whatever, you know. And, and they hated it. They would not do it out of honor. They would do it out of fear of, of being punished. I mean, basically, um, if you, as a wife, in ancient times, if you displease your husband in any way, he could divorce you just like that. He could accuse you, get rid of you, and at that time, you had no other alternative. You're just out on the street with no one to support you. And so wives at that time were basically prisoners. They had no choice. And you can, you can imagine a wife in that situation would feel like, you know, I hate my husband, but I have to honor him. I, I don't want to do the things that, I don't want to listen to him, but I have to, otherwise I'm going to be thrown out on the street. So this is just practical. And God says, no, you know, let's honor our husband. Let's choose. You are free. And you have a choice now to give a husband honor as in the Lord because this is the Lord's calling for you. Now, I always tell engaged couples that um, because they're always, you know, they say, oh, gee, honoring, you know, do I, do I, what does it mean to, um, sorry, I'm getting mixed up here. Um, what does it mean to honor my, my, my husband's leadership? Uh, do I have to just do everything he says? Well, I always tell engaged couples to say, husbands are given the, con the, the command to lead the marriage in love and wisdom, but that does not mean that wives cannot have an opinion, that wives cannot share their opinion and share it rather strongly. In a disagreement, wives, you have a voice, okay? And you must speak your voice. You must, you must share your voice. God gives you that power to object if your husband's decisions are, if you think your husband's decisions are not very wise or have certain consequences that he's not aware of, you tell your husband, that's not a really good decision, sweetheart. I love you, but you know, this just is not gonna work, you know, and, and I really have to, you know, disagree with you and et cetera, et cetera. And these are things that that are a wife's privilege and actually a wife's duty to speak truth to her husband, not to keep silent when her husband is not making a right decision or not considering the family. Um, that's not considered dishonoring God. That's not, considering, that's not considered not being submissive by sharing your opinion, sharing what you feel about something. You can hold a strong opinion, a strong perspective, but in the end, you say to your husband, you know how I feel. 
You know the issues involved. Now, you are the leader before God, and I will let you make the decision, and whatever you decide, I will support you. That's, that's submission. That's what God is asking. And wives, when you stand before God, you will answer to God, and God will just ask, did you honor your husband? And if you said yes, then he'll say, good and faithful servant. Doesn't matter if it was a really bad decision or you know, I mean, like if your husband made a really bad decision or your husband did something really bad, or like made a really unwise decision, God says, you know what? You're not responsible for your husband making unwise decisions. You're responsible for encouraging him, uh, instructing him, but in the end, honoring what he decides. Now, husbands, on the other hand, you're gonna stand before God for your decision. That's very important. In verse 19, it says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Husbands, before God, you are responsible to love your wives, to listen to them, to honor them, to give weight to their feelings and opinions and needs because you will answer to God for the decisions you make, for the things that you do in the household because God has placed you as, quote, the powerful one in the household. And he has given you that privilege and responsibility to say that this wife that has been given to you by God and entrusted to you by God is now giving her, uh, uh, surrendering her right to do what she wants and say, husband, you are the leader and I will follow you and honor you regardless of whether I agree with your decision or not because you're the leader. And so that now puts it upon husbands to say, did we choose and do the right thing? It doesn't mean, oh, well, I could do whatever I want now. No, because we're gonna answer to God now for the decision we make. And God's gonna say, hey, you know, that was a terrible decision and your wife even pointed it out to you and you still decided not to do it, you know. And it's, the, the accountability is much greater for the husbands in the household. You know, in, 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 in Paul's cultural uh, society, Paul is confronting the cultural norms of his society because in the ancient world, during his time, the husband could do anything he wants. Uh, in fact, ethical teachings at that time for husbands were husbands control your wives, make sure they're obedient, make sure they're silent, make sure that you know, they do everything you say. Uh, but God says, in, the, in, in contrast, God says husbands love your wives, don't be harsh to them, don't just consider their needs, but put their needs above your own. As Christ put your needs above his own when he died on the cross. He says, this is the command to husbands, to godly husbands. And so, so Christian wives, um, again, honor your husbands, submit to your husbands as fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh to them. Consider their well-being. This is the things, is when we talk about power and powerless, the, the wives, it's not powerless, powerless, but in a relationship, you have the less power because you have to honor your husband's leadership. Husbands, you have more power given by God because you have the final word. God's gonna hold you accountable 
for each one of those things. God's gonna give the one dignity to say, the wife say, you did everything you could to try to make sure that your household is in line, but if the husband didn't make the right decisions, didn't do the right things, and even the, the, the family suffered from those things, you'll be honored. I will remember you. I will care for your family and your children because you did what was honoring to God, what I asked you to do, and that was to honor uh, your husband. But husbands, if, if the house is, is messed up and there are decisions and, and things that, that, that you, decisions you made that really hurt people and, uh, and, and you weren't thinking about them, uh, God says, I hold you to account for those things. Not just what you wanted and what you thought was best for you, but you had to be thinking about what was best for your children, what was best for your wife, and those things should have been above yours. And God says, I'm gonna hold you accountable for those things. And, and that, again, was remarkable because in, 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 in Paul's time, husbands were not held accountable for anything. Powerful people in ancient times were not held accountable for anything. They could do anything they want. Now, three things I do want to mention to wives before moving on um, about these, these commands. Uh, first of all, it says, uh, it, these commands are in the context of marriage. So this is for all ladies. Um, this is not a command for all women in all situations, okay? It's not you know, all women employees have to listen to male employees, that kind of stuff. It has nothing to do with that type of thing. It has nothing to do with, even in the church, you know, all women have to submit to all the men in the church. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking specifically to husbands and wives in the household, very, very clearly. Second thing is wives submit to your husbands as it is fitting to the Lord, meaning that this is in the context of honoring Jesus. If your husband is compelling you to do something that you feel is in violation of God's word, like they're asking you to lie, they're asking you to sit by if someone's being injured or if yourself is being injured, um, you do not submit. You do not submit to those things because they are, they're directly dishonoring and are directly contradictory to the word of God. Third, this does not mean that I only need to submit to my husband when he's perfect. You know, wives will say, well, I'll, I'll submit to my husband as to Jesus as soon as my husband starts acting like Jesus. <laughs> and it's like, well, okay, then you're never gonna submit because, you know, our husband's never gonna fully act like Jesus. Um, but Peter says, wives, be subject to your husbands so that even some that do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Now, this seems to contradict what Paul's saying, but what Paul is saying here is, is, is that even when husbands are, are not honoring God in, in some of the decisions they're making, continue to act in a manner that is respectful and pure and honorable. Uh, even if our husbands are not acting like Christ like they should, continue to act in a manner that's respectful and pure. Husbands, be the best leader that you can be. Honor Jesus. If you do these things, if you are a good leader, you will help your wife to do the things God has called her to do, right? If you're a bad leader, it means you're gonna hinder and make it very hard for your wife to do the things that God has called her to do, right? What does that mean? That means, first of all, I'm hindering myself because I'm being a bad leader. I'm not doing the right things that God wants me to do. And not only that, 
I'm making it hard for my wife because she's trying to do the things that God has called her to do. But if I'm a bad leader, then I'm making it hard for her to do the things that God has called her to do. And so this makes, again, for husbands, I know you think I'm, I'm ragging our husbands, maybe it's because I'm a husband, and say, hey, as husbands, this does not mean we just go out and do whatever we want, and, and we say, well, I work, and I supply, you know, and I, I work hard, and I do these things, and I don't have to worry about spiritual things, and I don't have to worry about this and that, and I just want to do my thing, and, uh, you know, God says it's okay. No, God doesn't say it's okay. God says for husbands, uh, the things that we do spiritually, uh, they don't just affect us. They, they affect our, our wives being able to fulfill God's will as well. And uh, so this is actually very, very important to husbands. You help her. You honor her in your leadership. Do help her to do the things that, that God has called her to do. Be that good leader. Be that leader that listens. Be that leader, leader who is willing to, to, uh, to um let go of our pride and humble ourselves and, and, and listen to the things that our wives say and admit that we're wrong sometimes uh, when we get into arguments. And Rita and I get into arguments and I, I find my pride just comes up like crazy. And I thought, I thought I was such a humble person, you know, but then all of a sudden I'm like, man, no, I'm not a humble person. I'm really proud because I'm not willing to. I've, I already realize I'm losing the argument and I'm not willing to stand down, you know, because I'm proud, that's guys, we're just proud. And so the thing is, is that, you know, if we as husbands do the things that we're supposed to do, then God will be honored, well, God will be honored in our marriage. And so again, we go to this idea, dignity to the powerless, dignity to wives, accountability to the powerful, accountability to, um, to, to fathers. To husbands. Now, the next verse. Uh, this is the verse that all parents have been waiting for since we started this series. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Shall I keep this up for a little while here? Uh, <laughs> now, again, for God to address children in ancient writings is unheard of. Because children, again, at that time were like slaves. Um, and so God is saying to children, I have a calling for your life. And I put it in my word. And that already gives a sense of dignity. And you look at Jesus' ministry and he reinforces this. And let the children come to me. He characterizes the proper faith as the faith of a child. And so he says that he's giving children dignity. And he says to them, he says, obey your parents in everything. And I see the children starting to, youth starting to squirm a little bit here. And you might think the youth are thinking, ah, oh, maybe Pastor Harrison has something in the Greek that changes this, maybe it's not really obey, maybe it's something else, you know? But actually here in the word, here in the Greek, Paul actually uses a different word than he uses for the wives. It's not submit like the wives. It is actually obey, okay? It literally is obey. Sorry. <laughs> I wish I could say it was something else, but Paul is saying, children, obey your parents in everything. Do what they say. Honor the authority that God has given them over your lives. That's, that's God's command. Now, of course, again, if your parents ask you to do something that's in conflict with God's word, tells you to lie or things like that, um, we don't do that. But looking at most of you here, most of your parents are not going to put you in that situation. They may ask you to do things that you don't want to do, or they may ask you to do things that you may not think are the right thing to do or the best thing to do, but we still, as, as children who are complete in Christ, we honor our parents. 
you know, I had non-Christian parents growing up. When I first became a Christian, my, my, you know, my parents were non-Christian. And it was my determination to honor and obey them for Jesus. Was I was hoping and praying that they would come to know Jesus as Savior. And they would say things that sometimes, you know, would conflict with the things that were going on in church. And, and they would stop me from going to church sometimes and things like that. Um, but for me, there was this sense of this was a command from God that I have to honor. I want to honor my parents. I have to honor my parents that that's what I'm going to do. I was, a, I was a junior higher at that time. And I was like, you know, junior hires were like in high school, you know, we're like, my parents don't know anything, you know? <laughs> That's what we feel like when we're in junior high and high school. Uh, and, and, and if you have non-Christian parents, you have even more reason or, or rationale to say, my parents don't know what's right, they don't know what's good, they don't know how to honor God, so why should I obey my parents? Uh, but I really do believe that this is what God is asking us to do, and I, asking me to do as a child, and said, it don't matter if your mom and dad are not Christian. You honor your mom and dad. And you honor your mom and dad and, uh, and you'll be blessed. And your parents will be blessed. And, 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 and God's going to save your parents. He hasn't yet, but I believe he is. Uh, even if we think that our, our parents are unfair or unreasonable, you know, God promises that if you honor your parents in the home, he will bless you. You will live under his protective care. You will live under his umbrella of blessing if you honor him. But if you do not honor your parents, if you do not obey your parents, you not only need to fear the discipline from your parents, uh, but also the discipline from the Lord uh, during this time. You say, well, I got away with it. It's no problem. My parents can't control me. My parents can't tell me to do Yeah, but God... God can. Uh, God has a way. And, and, and so children, we need to, uh, to fear, uh, we need to fear the Lord. Fathers, address in the next command. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now it's possible that fathers here has a broader meaning for parents, but particularly in Paul's time, fathers were the head of the household. They were responsible for everything that went on in the household. They were answerable for everything that went on in the household. And it says, fathers, do not provoke your children. This is not discipline. Discipline is very important. If you discipline your child and your child gets all upset, that's not provoking them. That's actually doing what you're supposed to do as a parent. You're, you're, you're in love, disciplining them, training them to honor Jesus Christ. Provoking them would be doing things that just get them frustrated because you think it's funny or because you think it's whatever or because you, um, you know, like, uh, because, because you can. Sometimes parents just do things because they can. And, and they provoke their children. And, they, and they, 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 they do things that frustrate their children. But God, gives a, God says that husbands, um, you will be held in account for how you treat your children. Um, that, that fathers need to make sure that we continue, fathers, mothers, that we don't discourage them. D uh, frustrate or provoke means actually to cause them to lose heart, uh, to lose their heart, meaning just really, really like hopeless and, 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 and discouraged. 
And he said, this is not the role of parents, not the role of fathers or mothers in their discipline, in their correction, to, to, to the point where their children just completely lose hope. Uh, but really uh, to, to continue to, to encourage them, to correct them, to, to bring them up in the, in the power and the love of, of Jesus Christ, to help them to feel good about what it means to honor God and to love him. And this is the role of the father of, of, uh, of, of, of mothers. And so as we look again at what God is saying here, if you honor those in authority over you with respect and uprightness as unto the Lord, you'll be honored. That's really what he's saying, whether you're a wife, child, and God is especially the savior of the powerless, the advocate for the weak. He is your God. Now, again, I do want to uh, explain a, 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 a caveat here. And that is, um, as a wife or a child, and this is very important, um, or even as a husband, if you feel that at any time your life is endangered, or you're being abused, or you're being threatened physically, or you just feel that something is wrong, like just very uncomfortable with something that is happening. Um, you don't keep silent. You don't, that's not what God is saying, just submit to these things. Um, these things are not God's will. And that's why there are certain laws in the land about certain treatment within the home. The home is not private. It's, the home is not where you can just do anything you want. And there are certain laws that protect people in the home. And if there are things going on in the home, even as a child, and you say, you know, do I have the right to say something? You do. The law, the law of the land gives you the right to say something, and you should. Because here, uh, in the eyes of God, you have dignity. You have rights. You are a person. And anyone who tries to hurt or abuse uh, or treat you in a way that is not right, uh, you have a right to speak up. Wives, same thing. It's not about love. It is about love, actually, the love of God. That God does not want you to be treated in certain ways and, and will not permit that to happen. So, again, just a caveat, and I hope that that's something we never have to deal with, but it's just something that we do have to bring up that uh, that doesn't fall under this idea of you know, submitting in everything, okay? Uh, bond servants, we go on to verse 22. Uh, verse 22 says, bond servants, obey in everything uh, those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. Verse chapter four, masters, uh, treat your bondservants justly and fairly. Uh, now in this passage again, Paul is not engaging the institution of slavery itself. He's not getting into the politics of this. His, word, you know, his writing is not to say, he's not writing as a, you know, trying to engage in the, the uh, ab abolition of slavery. That's not his purpose. Um, but what he is doing is he is talking about uh, a, a larger issue about human dignity in the eyes of God. And, and what does God have to say to those who are viewed as uh, powerless in society? Now, again, uh, we could say that Colossians talks to uh, employees and employers. I mean, we usually say that it applies to work, but actually slavery and work is very different. Slaves have no power. Slaves are not, I mean, Paul could have said, you know, businessmen, workers, things like that. He says slaves. 
Slaves are the lowest rung of the societal ladder. Slaves are property. Slaves in a home is like a washing machine in the home, basically. It's only useful as it functions, and when it doesn't function, you just toss it out. It doesn't, you don't think about the rights or the, the well-being of your washing machine only to, the, only to the extent that it serves you, right? If it's no good, you just say, there's no rights. I don't care about how the, my washing machine feels. I'll just throw it out, you know? That's how people thought about slaves. And what Paul says to slaves is, um, obey these type of masters, and you receive an inheritance from God. You'll be treated by God as his precious son. You will be given an inheritance um, if you honor your master. And, and, and God says to, the, to the, um, the, the masters, the wrongdoing will be paid back for the wrong he has done. There's no partiality, there's nothing. Um, masters, you treat your bondservants justly and fairly because uh, you're gonna answer to God. And, and again, philosophers and moral teachers during the time of, of Paul and Jesus would say, there's no point in talking about the rights and, and, and the fairness of slaves because slaves are non-people. So if slaves are non-people, they have no rights. Uh, to s speak about justice when talking about slaves has no meaning. That's what Aristotle said. To talk about slaves and justice in the same sentence has no meaning because slaves have no dignity. Slaves have no identity. Slaves have no value. They're not people. And that's why Paul makes this very bold statement to say, masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, meaning they deserve justice, meaning they deserve fairness. So he's not saying you're being nice to them because you, you're, that's so nice of you to be nice to them. He says, no, they have rights. They're people. And God expects you to treat them with the dignity and honor as people. And, and, and I will hold you in account if you don't. And, and he gives that solemn warning to the powerful, that you will be held in account to God for how you use your power. Now we know that slavery is an abomination uh, in the eyes of God. You know, we do everything we can to, to, to eliminate slavery. That's why we're, we're talking about you know, slavery in our time now. We wanna see it abolished in our time right now. And as we look at this passage, we just wanna be reminded that even though there are times when we cannot change our circumstances, God still remembers the powerless. We, not, we may not be able to free all the slaves, but God gives every single slave the dignity and the honor and the calling from God and the reward in store for him, just like anybody else. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what position you're in. That's what God is saying. God remembers the powerless. He remembers, um, the single moms who feel like I had no choice, I was abandoned. And God says, I remember you. And, and I'm the God, I'm your God especially. And I assign you great dignity and reward for the wife who is taken for granted, who is not loved by her husband. God says, I'm your God more than anything else. And you may feel powerless, but you have, you have dignity. And for the child who is a foster child, who's abandoned by, her, by their parents, and they had no choice, God says, I'm your God, and I have a calling for you, and I will honor you. 
for those who are slaves, God even gives to them a promise that you too can be complete in Christ, that there's an inheritance waiting for you, that there is a justice that is coming, and that those who think that they're untouchable, uh, they will answer to God for the things in their life. And so how does that apply to us now as we, we come together now and think about us as, as Christians? Well, of course, if you're a husband or a wife, that's something that we directly think about. You know, how am I being a good leader? How am I uh, continuing to honor my husband's leadership or encourage my husband's leadership? How am I, as a husband, helping my wife to fulfill her will, fulfill God's will, by being that good leader, uh, by being that godly man? Uh, for children and parents, the same thing. It's, it's pretty direct what we do. But I think there's also a bigger picture as well. How do we relate to those who are powerless? How do we relate to those who are disadvantaged, whether at work or whatever, when we're at work and we look at those who, who probably are just working because they need to make a living and feed their kids? That's the reason they're working. They're not thinking about uh, professional ambition or how I'm going to rise up the ladder or you know what great things I'm gonna do you know, professionally. They're just thinking about, I need to feed my kids. And that's why I do this. H how do we help them to give us, to, to feel a sense of dignity when we interact, when we love them, when we talk to them, when they work for us? When we go to, to the restaurants and things like that, how do we make sure that we treat those who may be less advantaged and less powerless how do we treat them with dignity and give them honor as God would honor them? If we're in places of power, whether you're professionally in power, whether just power because we have money, power because we have education, all these power, God's gonna call us to new count for how we use that and how it affected other people, how it affected the people around us at work, how it affected our neighbor, how it affected our families, how it affected everything. We have a lot of power and privilege and what we do and say and how we spend our money and everything, the choices we make affect a lot of other people. And God will hold us into account for the decisions and, and the power that he has given to us. It's not power for us to just, oh, you know, I can buy whatever I want, I can do whatever I want, people do this for me, do that for me. That's not why God gave us this power. He gave it so that we can bless, so that we can, again, give dignity, so that we can honor Jesus Christ. And God's gonna hold us to account, every one of us, to say, and all of us here have power, and we will have power. And God will say, what did you do with the power that was given to you in all these different situations? For you will be held in account for the things that you do, okay? So let's, uh, let's close in a word of prayer, let's pray. Father, we praise you. Father, I know this is a, a difficult, God, this is such a difficult thing to talk about, but God, 